Uh, I want to open my sermon by saying this. It may sound a little strange, but I just sort of wanted to ask, is there anyone here today that finds themselves just sort of in a funk? You don't have to raise your hand. You can just kind of raise your hand in your heart. (laughs) Is there anybody here today that's just is struggling? You're struggling. You know you're struggling. You're in the midst of a mess. And it's not just one thing. It's something to do with your family, yeah, but it has something to do with your job, and it has something to do with purpose, and it has something to do with, is this really what I'm supposed to do with my life? It's, it's all of that stuff. For some of us, we are like, I can't even quite put my finger on the mess. I know I'm struggling, and I'm trying to, you know, some of us came in this morning thinking, I should be tougher than this. I should be better than this. And you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you're saying messages to yourself, but it doesn't seem to work. If you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling, you're just sort of stuck in a, in a rut, what I want to share with you is an ancient story, thousands of years old, that I believe has something to say to you right now. What I just described, that struggle, that mess, that rut, what I would call that is life. What I would call all that stuff, the stuff you're trying to hold in your hands and the stuff that's spilling over, the parts of you that feel numb, the parts of you that are like glowing embers, you're wondering if they'll come back to life, the parts of you that are aflame right now and and excited, I would call all that life. And I wanna share with you today an ancient story that I think speaks to the life that you can find in that life. And and I think that we have the permission to do that because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and you're like, I'm alive. He says, no, I'm talking about more life. And the way to share that with you is is going to be sharing with you an an old, old story that starts in the promised land. But what's interesting about how the people of God had come into the promised land is that they're in the promised land, but they're not living in the promise. So they're in the place that God said for them to go. They've stepped into the promised land, but they've forgotten all the promises. They're not living in their homes anymore. They're living in caves. They don't get to harvest their, their grain anymore because the Midianites have, have come upon them. They don't laugh anymore. They don't uh, dance anymore. They don't worship anymore. We're told that they have, they have forgotten the worship of their God. Seven years they've been in that funk in Judges chapter six. Seven years they've been in a rut. Seven years they've been struggling and then someone remembers God. Just one person. I've actually been praying for, you know, and thinking about the people that come in here. Maybe you're the someone that for us is going to remember God. Well, someone remembered God. Someone called out to God. And God came and sat down under an old oak tree and spoke to a young man who was threshing wheat in a wine press. His name was Gideon. And said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now to this threshing, some of you have thought, I've heard all I want to hear about this threshing, but I can't quite get past it. Gideon, we're told, was threshing wheat in a wine press. Threshing is that, uh, well, let me back up a little bit and say this. Bread, bread is good. You know that, right? Bread is, bread is really, really good. Did y'all agree? Right now, my wife, Rachel's on an eating plan where she's not eating bread. And she was out of town this weekend. <laughs> we got two loaves of that Cracker Barrel sourdough bread. Then we girls, Saturday morning, we cooked cinnamon rolls. And last night, I baked a cake. <laughs> we were like, bread for every meal, because bread is good, right? Bread is good. 
Bread's always been good, but the Israelite people, they didn't get bread the same way we did. They couldn't just go and grab bread. There was a long process to get bread. There was preparing the ground, there was planting, there was, there was uh, the waiting for rain and waiting for rain and praying for rain. And then finally the growing of the plants and tending to them and then the harvesting and then the threshing. Threshing is taking the wheat and, and breaking it and, and, and crushing it. It's the struggle of making bread. You have to thresh the wheat. And what happens in the, in the threshing is there are kernels of the wheat that fall. There are chaff that blows away and there's straw that you put to the side. And so the Israelite people had a process for threshing, just like many of those ancient Middle Easterns. And it looked something like this. You threshed wheat on a threshing floor. That's a threshing floor. You see how it's been prepared? It's, it's out in the wide open, oftentimes on the side of a hill. Because the way they thresh wheat, is, if they were fortunate, they had an animal that would pull something over the wheat to do that breaking, that crushing, that, that tearing apart. And then, even if they had that on the threshing floor, you would take the wheat and you would throw it up in the air. And because you were in a wide open space, the wind could take and blow the chaff away and the kernels of wheat, what you needed for your bread, would fall to the ground. Out on the threshing floor is where you could get what you needed for bread. Gideon, though, was threshing in a wine press. It's it's important. He wasn't threshing wheat on the threshing floor. He was threshing in a wine press. A wine press looks like this. A wine press is a hole in the ground. A wine press is rock-hewn And you get down in it and you crush your grapes. But Gideon wasn't crushing grapes in the wine press. He was threshing wheat. So he was down in this little hole surrounded by rock. And he's struggling. And he's crushing. And he's breaking apart. And then when he takes the wheat to throw it up in the air, which works well on a threshing floor, it doesn't work so well on a hole in the ground. And it blows back into your eyes. and gets in your mouth and your lungs. See, threshing wheat is hard enough. Threshing wheat in a wine press is miserable. God comes to Gideon in the wine press and says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, you've got the wrong guy. God says, I've got the right guy. Gideon says, you don't understand. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. We're the weakest family and I am the weakest one in the weakest family. Why would he say that? He's saying, as evidenced by my position in the wine press, I am the one who got the job of threshing wheat in this hole and you're coming to me. Anybody here this morning say, I'm in a really weak family and this morning I feel like the weakest in my weak family. That's what Gideon said to God and God said to him, I'm with you. He said it over and over, I'm with you. And Gideon eventually climbs himself out of that hole and he goes and breaks down the altar to Baal that his, God, that his dad set up on top of a hill and breaks down the pole to Asherah. These were the idols, the gods, the people who had come into that promised land. And Gideon eventually begins to gather the people together to do what God has told him to do, which is to go and crush the Midianites. It's in that place that we find the most famous portion of this famous Gideon story, and it has to do with wool fleeces. I know this story is weird, but remember I said the story uh, gets weirder before it gets better, okay? So here's what's happening where we pick up this week in Judges chapter 6. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. These are the enemies of the people of God, and they are mobilizing. So guess what? God knew already what was going to happen. He was calling upon Gideon as the Midianite army was, was mobilizing in this valley. 
Then the spirit of the Lord came over Gideon. I'm going to say that again. Then the spirit of the Lord came over Gideon. What do you do when the spirit of the Lord comes over you? Blow a trumpet. <laughs> he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. The Abiezrites were his family. That's where from the, the, just the little family that his dad was from. He sent messengers, though, throughout Manasseh, that's the bigger tribe, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, those are other tribes of Israel, so that they too went up to meet them. What's happening there? Gideon is mobilizing the armies of God. So you have the army of Midian in the valley and the army of God who are mobilizing up here with Gideon. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, and we lean in and we think, ooh, this is good and good, right? If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, And then Gideon says, "Um, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only, hang with me, if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you had said. Gideon's saying, I love this promise, God, the promise that you said that I would go and save Israel by my my hand. Um, But if you'll hang with me, God, I'm just gonna put this thing here. I'd love for it to be wet in the morning and the ground to be dry. And that is what happened. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. (laughs) Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. So it's the opposite of the first one. The first one was fleece wet, ground dry. This one is fleece dry dry ground wet and that night God did so only the fleece was dry all the ground was covered with dew now this story of laying out the fleeces is one that has been uh, talked about and argued about and confused about for a long time when we read it you probably like me start thinking "Uh, can I do that can I do something like that? I would love to, I've got some things I'm not so sure about, some places I'm not so sure God wants me to know. Can I, can I rig up something like that? And then there are other folks who, of course, as they read it, thinking, man, Gideon was such small faith. You should never do that. There's scripture, do not, do not test the Lord your God, right? It, and so it's sort of a confusing story. The reason I ran through and recapped that whole thing to get us there is because I think for us to really understand the fleece, we have to understand the whole story. We have to remember that Gideon was living in hiding. You can't forget that he was in the wine press in the hole when this started. Gideon was living in hiding, and when God came to him, God did not speak a word of shame to him, but a word of power. You see, when you're in the hole so often, and a lot of times it's coming from yourself, you, you speak and you hear these words of shame. How did you get here? I can't believe you've been here seven years. I can't believe you turned your back on God. All those kind of things, those words of shame that maybe a parent gives to you, maybe a teacher gives to you, or maybe you give to yourself. But when God came to Gideon, when he was in the hole, God did not speak a word of shame, but a word of power. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Are you kidding me? I'm the weakest in my weak family. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so in week one of this series, we began encouraging each other to say to each other, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Have some of you done that or at least kind of remembered it in your mind? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This week I saw on Instagram one of our Providence kids, his name is Ezra, and he was going to his first day of preschool. This is on Monday morning, uh, and I've got a clip of it. I'll let you hear it a couple of times. This is what Ezra is saying to himself as he goes to school in the morning. The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. Do it again. The Lord is with me, 
is with me, mighty warrior. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. I showed my girls at dinner that night, and we've been saying it this week in that same tone. It's awesome. It's really empowering. Just like, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. So when I came in here, you know, the next day, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. When I'm waiting in the car line at Wilson Central High School, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. The Lord is with me, mighty warrior. Why does it take so long? When you're going to the doctor, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. When you're pulling up to the jail to visit with your family member, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. When you're sitting in rehab, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. When you're scheduling your counseling appointment, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. When you come into church and you're in a funk, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. It's a word of power, not shame, even when you're in the hole. Because you see, Gideon was threshing. He was struggling. He was in that, in that place where it felt like it was all falling apart and his job stunk and his family had issues. He was breaking, he was crushing, he was struggling, right? Something about seeing Gideon in the hole this week, it reminds me, I don't know why, but it just reminds me of like every time I try to start a weed eater or like my dad's pressure washer, I can't start things with small engines. I, like the car I got every time, that one's no problem. But other stuff, like we have to pull a cord, I can't, you know, you, pump, you prime the bulb and you move stuff and you choke it or do you choke it? And when do you push the choke back in? I don't know. And I'll be pulling this thing. I'm just threshing. I'm mad. I'm mad at everyone when I'm starting a weed eater, you know, just over and over. And finally, my dad will come because uh, we live next door and he'll start it for me. And then I'll be, you know, pressure, I was pressure washing the other day and I was just threshing while I was doing it. I was already through the struggle, right? But I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm mad. There was this wasp nest that was nowhere near where I was pressure washing. I was just like, ah, and wasps were going everywhere. And the kids are at the window like, oh, no, dad has an anger problem. And, I want, and what I want to say is like, you have no idea what it took for me to get here. You didn't watch me pulling on. You, didn't, you have no idea how I struggled to get to this. So if I want to blast some wasp off the face of the earth, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Gideon was in a rock hole, throwing wheat up in the air, expecting chaff to blow away. And Colonel, it was a miserable job. And God honored his struggle. God came to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. That's what he said. Pardon me, Lord. And God said, I'm not kidding. I'm with you. And he said it again. Pardon me, my Lord. And God, every step of the way, what I love about this story of Gideon that I'm just learning alongside of you is that every step of the way on Gideon's struggle, God was on, he was with him. It wasn't like, I can't believe you did this. It wasn't, you know, get away from me, my people. It was come back to me, my people. And Gideon, I have something like super, super special for you in the midst of the salvation of my people. I was reading recently this account by a psychologist and she was talking about how we can help our kids get out of their struggles and, and she was talking about some big picture stuff, but she used, for example, like when a toddler is in the midst of a meltdown, uh, which is sometimes like how we're acting, right? 
And she was, she was saying, you know, gave this instance, and you, you can recognize this, like when you, a kid wants a red popsicle, and you go, like a two-year-old wants a red popsicle, and you go to the box, but there's only purple and orange popsicles left. And so when you give them a purple popsicle, they're destroyed. They're demolished. They have a meltdown, right? And, and I mean, you know, a two-year-old, if they don't get the red popsicle that they want, and so, the, and so what you try to do is you start to try to tell them good stuff that's true. You try to rationalize with them and say, hey, you know what? Um, this other popsicle will taste as good as this popsicle. But then you get frustrated as you go through the meltdown a little bit, don't you, parents? And you start, telling, you start worrying about them when they're 30, <laughs> you know? And you're like, you start saying, hey, it, you shouldn't be crying over a popsicle. And you do all this stuff to rationalize them out of their meltdown, and none of it works, right? And this uh, psychologist was talking about our brains, and she was saying, we have a downstairs brain that's all emotion and struggle and feeling. And then we have an upstairs brain that's, you know, where we are rational, we can empathize with others, we're more mature. And she was saying the upstairs brain isn't fully developed until you're in your mid-20s. And some of you are elbowing your husband and thinking, it's much later than that, you know? <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? The, the kid can't get there. You can't rationalize a two-year-old from, red, from purple red popsicle to purple popsicle, right? You, you can't do it. And so sometimes as a parent, we do this thing just out of instinct. We don't even realize we're doing it. And this is what works, right? This is what gets a kid out of downstairs to upstairs. You go downstairs with them, right? You meet them downstairs. And you're just like, oh, I can't believe there's not any red popsicles either. This is terrible. This is, and you just gnash teeth with them, right? I can't believe mom ate all the red popsicles, you know? And you just, you just go there with them. You just struggle with them. You've ever done it with a kid? And when you go to that place with, them, with your arm around them, they begin to move upstairs. I'm like, Dad, I think you're overreacting. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about this story, right? Oh, a God who meets Gideon downstairs in the hole, goes down into that place and, and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He doesn't rationalize him out. Gideon says, pardon me, Lord. And God's response again is, I'm with you, right? You hear what he's saying? I'm with you downstairs. That's what is gonna get you up. And so if you're in the funk today, if you're in the midst of a struggle, know that, that God's not coming to you with some you know, theological argument to get you out of it. I've got, I'm not gonna talk you out of your struggle today, but I am gonna tell you the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's that knowledge that begins to move us and allow us to, to come upstairs. You see, Gideon thought God would be mad. That's what he says in the flea story. He says, do not be angry with me, God, because he's doing this kind of tug of war with him in this flea story. Don't, don't, don't be angry with me, but I'm gonna throw another fleece out on the ground. And God stayed right with him. You see that, right? Gideon thought God would be mad, but God stayed right with him. There's lots of confusion about the fleece thing. On the one hand, there are some of us who say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a fleece before God. Sort of I'm going to kind of test God in something. That's like you're, you're trying to think, should I take this other job? I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Should I take this other job? And so you say, God, if I go in and the guy doing the interview is wearing a red coat and his name's Larry, I'm going to know that, that you're with me in this, right? And those things, you know... It, or we stand on the other side and say, you should never test God like that. Oh, Gideon of, of little faith, you know, bad bad Gideon. So in the flea struggle, we struggle with either, should I just do this and be giving God all these tests or is that that bad? And what I want to tell you is what I see in the story is it's not either one of those really. What's happening with Gideon is he is not asking God to show him what he's supposed to do. 
Why do I say that? Because Gideon begins his argument by saying, God, I know that you've made a promise to save Israel by my hand. He says exactly what God has promised him to do. He's already mobilized 32,000 troops the very next morning. After the next fleece, like the fleece, the second fleece morning, there are 32,000 Israelites who are ready to go into battle. Gideon's been doing the work. He knows what he's supposed to do. This isn't Gideon asking God, am I supposed to take this next job? What is it? It's Gideon struggling, (laughs) struggling with life struggling with his family, struggling with the thought that he could be used. And God matches him step for step. Okay, you want the fleece wet? There you go, it's wet. You want the fleece dry? There you go. And so they're in the midst of this struggle. The name Israel, upon which these people, and now we get to be a part of the Israelite people, the name Israel means to struggle or to struggle with God. It was given to a guy named Jacob who once wrestled with God and God said, now your name is Israel. So the very name that Gideon's people carried that they had forgotten was that they were a struggling people. So if you're in the midst of a struggle this morning, if you're in the midst of of a rut, know that God is right there with you walking each step of the way. I've told y'all before, my wife, Rachel, and I, and this is kind of silly, but we have this number that we use that that we think God sometimes shows us. You know, like God winks at us through this number. And the number, I won't give you the whole story. The number is 129, okay? So there you go. And it's because in the Bible, Rachel meets uh, Jacob in chapter 29 of Genesis, which is the first book, 129. And I convinced Rachel to marry me because of that Jacob and Rachel got married in the Bible. So she's not here this morning. It's biblical. Uh, And so... We got married and we'll see this number all over the, like our, we went to First Baptist Church here, kindergarten, and the, the, the number of our room we found out was 129. All these different kind of cool things. But we were at one time in our life, 14 years ago, we were in the midst of a struggle. What had happened is I was a full-time student. Rachel was working a full-time job uh, and she was the one earning money for our family. And while she was on maternity leave with our first daughter, Mary, uh, her position was eliminated at her job which I'm pretty sure is illegal. But anyway, it's what happened. And so she, she lost her job. And we, were, we, were, we had made all of our plans. Listen to me if you're here this morning in, in the same place. We had made all these plans based on this one thing going the way we thought it would go. And now suddenly it didn't go that way. All the bills were set up on this plan. Right? And so I remember standing in our little living room in our, in our first house and Rachel's holding a crying baby. And she's crying, and I'm crying, and we are struggling. And the, the news station was on, Carrie, and um, they were doing the, the lottery balls, right, where they pop up. And uh, there's got to be some holes in the story, I know, but I'm just telling you what happened. And Rachel, she's struggling. She's not, like, uh, she's not like feeling great and feeling spiritual. She's threshing. And she said, God, we need to know that you're with us in this. She said, I want you to show us 129, right? And as sure as we were standing there in our living room, the, the balls on the, on the TV just came up, one, two, nine. And I was like, baby, we got to buy a lottery ticket. You know, like, you're, you're good. No, 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 no. We not thought, we believed that God was saying to us, I'm with you. I'm with you. In a, in, in, in little, in a number. And that's a silly story. I mean, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that, right? You shouldn't do stuff like that. But I'm saying the reason she did it is because we were struggling. 
You don't always get all the words right and all the phrases right and all the theology right when you're struggling. But she was talking to God. I don't know if you noticed it, but it says that Gideon laid the fleece on the threshing floor. Did you notice it? Gideon had moved from the hole in the ground out to the place that nobody had been in seven years because it was there they feared for their lives. Gideon was actually on the threshing floor when he put the fleece down. You see what I'm saying? Like the army of Midian is in the valley below. The army of God is above. And Gideon is standing there before all of them, talking to God, struggling with God on the threshing floor. Gideon isn't all the way where God is taking him, but can you see how many steps he's made to come out of the wine press? And so I'm wondering how many of us this morning are ready to make some steps on the way to where God is leading us? This morning is for those of you who might say, I am in the hole. And all, the invitation that I want to give you this morning is simply to get out of the hole and talk to God. <laughs> to struggle. You don't have to have all the words right. You don't have to have the, the, you know, the, the fleece thing right. I don't totally get it either. But Gideon was struggling. He talked to God and God met him right there. And I can assure you that that's what God wants to do with you. If you're struggling this morning, if you're in the midst of a funk, if you're seven years into a rut and you came to church, what I want to tell you is that we're a part of the story of the people of God who comes and meets us downstairs and loves us and promises us his presence all the way out. Let us pray. God, thank you for this ancient story. We're right in the middle of it. we still got a ways to go. But I pray that you would help us this morning to make steps to some of us just to climb up that rock wall get out of the hole and get real with you, to talk with you, to struggle with you. We thank you, God, that as we come to communion this morning, that we have some really good bread. We have some really good bread. Jesus said, I'm bread. The people in Israel longed for bread and God gave them bread. The people in the promised land forgot about God and God gave them bread. And Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus says to you, I've got some bread for you, it's good bread. Take it, need it, and remember it's of me. And here's, here's my cup, the cup of salvation, the cup that will save you. My blood shed for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Guys, there's no sin you've committed that God will not forgive. There's, there's no place you can go where you can get away from the reach of God's love. So come this morning and take bread and juice in the name of Jesus, in the story and the lineage of the people of God a people God redeems, a people God calls back and saves over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen.